Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. Good morning. Who's ready to talk about the Holy Spirit? Good. I'm glad that's your reaction. Cody is. That's good. Uh, and so normally when we talk about God, so let's just ask the questions. Who here has God figured out? Nobody? Me either. I'm learning every day. I'm fascinated with this idea that when we get to heaven, there are just going to be these wow moments all the time. Wow, you're awesome. Wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know. There'll never be a cap to when we're like, man, I got them figured out. We will be in awe, 10,000 years plus eternity, man. And so when we talk about God, we are talking about because we are Trinitarian, we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's not scary. He's not weird. He's actually given on purpose. So here, let's do this. Who's got the Holy Spirit figured out? Good. I'm glad you're on the same page. And for most of my life, I was actually a little bit afraid of the Holy Spirit because you, you, you don't tell him what to do. He tells you what to do. You don't control him. He controls you. And so, so many times there'd be these rooms where people were praying and there was somebody in that room that was known to be very prophetic. And I don't know why I finger quoted that, but I did. And I wouldn't want to go because I was convinced that God was somehow going to tell that prophetic person he was going to out me. He's going to tell them something about how I was missing it or how, how broken I was. But I just, that was a misconception of what the Holy Spirit does or what God's about. God's about restoring his people, about bringing wholeness. And as I've learned about the Holy Spirit, I mean, a lot of circles I roll on, they're like, there's the Holy Spirit guy. I love the Holy Spirit. And one of the things I feel like God's commissioned me to do in this church before my time here is over is to give him a place. Because if we were to be honest and we were to sit after this and have a conversation, some of us are afraid of the Holy Spirit. As I talk about him today, some of you are convinced I'm just going to start getting crazy and smacking you in the forehead and people are going to fall. I don't care about actually manifestations at all. But we are a church that believes in marrying two things. Do you know what those two things are? The word and the spirit. And that's not because we were like, that, that just comes off the tongue well. We are word and spirit people because the word of God is the basis for our belief and our faith and our life. And it tells us to be full of, be led by, and be filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about a lot of that today. Some of you will like it. Some of you won't. Can we make a deal, though? If you don't like it, will you talk to me? I promise you, if you are like, I don't agree with you. You know what I'll say to you? I don't agree with you, and we'll be great. But at least we'll have talked like brothers and sisters. Yeah? And so one of our goals here is to do, I talked about it last week, it's really simple. Read the Bible. Read it. And you're like, this is why we do a reading plan, and we're in the book of Acts in our reading plan. And as you read the book of Acts, I'm going to preach it, which I started last week, preaching about the Holy Spirit falls and then Satan attacks and wants to quench and wants to destroy the church. And then I said last week, we're going to come back now. So this is part two, and the follow-up to... Are you full of the Holy Spirit? How do you know? Can you be unfull? Can you get refilled? And how do you pursue that biblically and well without losing your mind? And, and really, what we want to do, like I said, is to be word and spirit people, because what I believe is happening is what another guy said is really happening. His name's Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you don't know who he is. He was a Reformed theologian. He was British. I love listening to British theologians. It's fun. But he also believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. And this is what he said. He said, both charismatics and Reformed may well expect an element of divine rebuke to enter their life if they do not now begin to learn from one another. Already the charismatic movement is finding the Spirit withdrawing his blessings and the devil sowing his confusion wherever doctrine is despised and neglected. Correspondingly, in many places, the reform movement is beginning to go stale. Its congregations replete with sound doctrine, but cramped in regard to experience and self-expression. They are looking wistfully at less instructed, but often more effective congregations down the road. In both camps, a sense of something more is beginning to rise up from the people. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I agree. 
I've hung out with some charismatics, and they all come back, and they're like, I've seen some weird stuff, Andrew. I'm like, tell me the weird stuff, because I want to know the weird stuff. And then I'm always like, what do you wish you would have done different? And they all go, I wish we would have started and laid a deep foundation in the word. And then I meet some reformed guys. I'm talking like PhD, Greek nerds. And they're like, what, what do you wish you would have done? And they would, I wish I would have included the Holy Spirit in my reading of Scripture. And so we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, not because I'm a Holy Spirit guy, but because the Bible tells us a lot about him. And when he's around, things seem to happen. You can't read the book of Acts without literally tripping over the Holy Spirit, him leading, him filling, him empowering, weird stuff. Some people call it weird. I just call it normal now. Stuff happening. So I'll lay the groundwork like this. Who gets to decide what this looks like? And I don't mean all. I mean, who gets to decide what the church of Jesus Christ looks like? What we do, what we don't do, what we should expect, what we shouldn't expect. Who? Jesus, God, Yahweh, I don't care what you go with. Yes. Yeah? So here's the thing. If the Bible said, when you gather, all the men must wear a yoga, or toga. Toga? Yoga? Not a yoga. And when the people enter, the pastor must pour golden honey over their heads. What do you think we'd be doing right now if the Bible said it? You'd be wearing a toga, and I'd be pouring honey. You'd be eating honey. <laughs> yeah, right? Because the Bible tells us what to do and what to expect. And the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit. The Bible actually tells us a lot about the Holy Spirit. And actually, a lot of what your Christian life is caught up in is actually with the Holy Spirit. Some of us, we just don't know it. And I think the reason we don't know it is because, number one, we either had a bad experience or a weird Pentecostal got around us. And so we crossed our arms and slowly backpedaled, and we're like, I don't want to be like that. And so we went over here. I'm not asking what we want. I'm asking, what does the Bible say? And if the Bible says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, we should actually ask as Bible people, hello, Bible people, what does that mean? And then be humble enough to go, maybe I'm not full. Okay? So I want to pray, as I always do. And as I pray, I'm going to pray two things, and it's actually my goals of this sermon. My goal for this sermon, number one, is encounter. That you would experience God. And we don't like the word experience in these kind of churches sometimes. I want you and God to meet. I want you to feel him touch you, change you, move you. And you really are like, Andrew, you're getting weird again. That's actually our vision statement here. I didn't make it up either. Lovers of God, loving others into life-changing, what was that word? Encounters? So I want you and God to meet. I want you to know him. I want you to be full of the Holy Spirit. I want you to leave differently, not because you heard a crazy 38-year-old guy yell about the Bible, but because the very Spirit of God came upon you and you were transformed from something you could never be on your own. That's what I want. And so I have a lot of prayers that I've prayed. Actually, last night at 9 o'clock I was in here. I prayed over every chair in this room because I am expectant that God wants to encounter his people again. He wants you to actually know him. So that when you go places and people go, why are you joyful? You go, because I know God. And I've met too many Christians, and this is the second goal of this sermon, that don't think God, that you don't think God likes you. You don't think God knows you. You don't think, you think you're one of the neglected sons or daughters, but there's, there's really highly favored ones. But that's the second goal, Intimacy. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, you go straight to rolling on the floor, tongues, weird manifestations. I'm actually not after manifestations today. I haven't chased manifestations in a while. I'm after Romans 8. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is what I'm after. A spirit-filled church knows who they belong to. Because it's a revelation by the Spirit of God that we are sons and daughters of God. And then we cry out, I'm yours. I belong to you. I'm a son. 
But so many Christians, they come limping into my office and they go, God doesn't care about me. And I'm convinced it's because we've neglected the spirit because someone told us to, we had a bad experience, or somehow Satan has convinced the church that the spirit is dangerous. The only person the spirit of God is dangerous to is Satan. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray actually a prayer that comes out of a journal of a guy named John Piper. Anybody know that name? So if Johnny P's down with the Spirit, I can be too. Um, he said, if I'm burdened for the vital experience of God missing in many of our people and for the present power of godliness, it makes sense to preach not just on what God has done or what he will do or what he must do, but on what God is now doing and how he's now experienced with the Holy Spirit. The life of my people hangs on vital experience of the Spirit. There are miracles with which God might be willing to perform if we sought his Spirit and were filled anew. And these miracles may win for him glory that is now denied him. Come, Holy Spirit, preach yourself to this people. John Piper, in his journal, in like 1998, because he's been preaching since I was a baby. So I want to pray that prayer, that the Lord would come and teach us about the Holy Spirit. And if you can just say, hey, I'm going to let the Bible inform my doctrine on the Holy Spirit, not my Pentecostal friend and not my Reformed friend, the Bible, that's all I'm asking for. So, Lord, come. Come fill this place with the knowledge of the glory of God. And I pray any spirit that's not of the Holy Spirit, you would be gone in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and minister to the people of God and fill them afresh with power, love, fire. I bless them now, and I thank you, Jesus, that as we read your word, it's going to do something. Lead us to deep waters, and I ask for those two things, experience, that we would encounter you today. And that might be a revelation of your love, or that might be, I can't stand under the power of God. I'll take whatever you want. And I ask for <laughs> intimacy, God intimacy, deep intimacy for the people of God. We would know that we are loved. We would know that we're adopted. We would know the name by which we've been saved. We would know you. We have been given the spirit of adoption to cry out Abba, to cry out Father. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Grab a Bible, Acts chapter 2. There's two dramatic moments where the Spirit of God is poured out, first on Jewish people, then on Gentile people. And what we're going to ask, we're going to ask it about 1,500 times today, is it descriptive or prescriptive? We talked about this last week. When we read the Bible, is what we're reading just describing history something that did happen? Or is it prescribing something that should happen now and continue to happen? And sometimes the answer is yes. Both. It's describing a thing and also prescribing it at the same time. So in Acts chapter 2, you all probably know this story. Jesus Christ has been dead. He's raised from the dead. And then 40 days, he hangs out with his disciples and then ascends to heaven. As he's ascending to heaven, he tells them, I want you to go wait in the city until you're clothed with power. And then you will be my witnesses. So you know what they do? They go to the city and they wait. About 120 of them in total are waiting and praying for around 10 days. Now, here's the thing. We would be really bad at that. In our culture, waiting is, is, is like considered hell. So if I told you, hey, I want you to go sit in your room and I want you to fast for 10 days, and I want you to pray and wait until God shows up, would you? What if I told you in 10 days, 100% fact, the Holy Spirit will pour out power on you if you wait for 10 days? Will you wait? So some of us, were like, we're hungry for the things of God. We just wouldn't wait for them. We demand them now. But they waited, and this is what happens after they wait. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Woo! This is God's idea, once again, of how to launch a church. 
You want to start a church? Pour God's power and spirit and presence on it, then set them loose. Yeah? And that's exactly what they do. Picture it. Right now, I'm like, Holy Spirit, come. When? You're like, what is going on? Uh, and then all of a sudden, fire over your heads. We're like, something's going on. And then all of a sudden, Bill over there starts yelling in a different language. And then Sue's over there like laughing like she's drunk. And you're like, Sue, get it together. That spills out onto the street, the Bible says. They think they're drunk, right? Now, picture that. If that happens now, we pour out on the street, and they're like, them cobblestone people, they're drunk. Anybody been around drunk people before? You're like, I'm drunk right now. No, like, anybody been around drunk people before? Now, I've been around a few drunk people in my life. That was a bad joke. Uh, <laughs> I've been around happy drunks. You ever been around those people? They're kind of funny. You can poke fun of them. They laugh a lot. They're really funny. Been around sad drunks? Yeah? Been around just like sloppy drunks? That's what's happening. That's God's idea of a church launch. You're like, no, 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 go read it. They did not walk out like this. Fire has come. Hear some tongues. Receive the Lord. That's not what was happening. Because it says they thought they were drunk, and Peter had to correct them and go, it's nine in the morning, y'all. They're not drunk. This is the power of God poured out on flesh, and they can't handle it. Their bodies are freaking out. That's what's going on. And so here, once again, descriptive or prescriptive? Y'all don't know what to say. I don't either. No, it is descriptive because I do think this is an epoch. This is a switching of, of, of moments in history where the church now is not the law of the prophets, it's the spirit. And the spirit poured out is a shift in the history of the church. We now have God in us. We now have God on us. We now have the Spirit as our leader, and he's going to empower us for the work of ministry. This is the age of the Spirit and the church. It's important that you notice that. So it's descriptive because he's showing this is happening. It's important. Pay attention. You need to watch. But then he says a few verses later, verse 39, Acts 2. This is why I say I think it's both descripting, describing, and prescribing. Verse 39, for the promise is for you. So Peter's speaking to this crowd, and he goes, the promise of the Holy Spirit's for you all. Because he just told them about Jesus dying and resurrecting, and they are cut to the heart. And they're like, what do we do? And he says, you need to repent of your sin, be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. That's the three things he tells them. And then he says, because this promise is for you, for your kids, and all who are far off. Who's far off? Even far off in the Jewish mind was the Gentiles. Because in the Jewish mind, God was going to send a Messiah, and he was going to save the Jews. Over Jesus' cross, what did it say? What did Pilate put up there? King of the Jews. So they, in their head, even in that moment, might have just had this smaller concept that God was going to pour his spirit out on the Jewish believers because they were God's covenant people. They were, they were chosen. They were set apart. But not those Gentiles. Behold the phone. Go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. And I bring these up, and I want you to keep asking questions as you read Scripture. Why does it seem like every time people are getting saved, God's pouring his spirit out on them? It's almost like he wants his Holy Spirit in his church and on his people. So in Acts 10, Peter's having a trance on a roof with some sheets and some pigs and some things, and he's like, no, Lord, I'm not going to eat those things. Roman centurion's having some visions and some angelic visitations, and he's like, go get Peter. This is this whole thing of God breaking down the barriers that we build that shouldn't exist. So Peter goes and he begins to proclaim the gospel in Acts 10 to a group of Gentiles. He says, why did you get me? And he says, Jesus Christ, he was anointed by God, by the Holy Spirit to do the works of God. He proclaimed the will of God and he was, he got, he was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. And if you believe in him, you'll have the forgiveness of your sins. And as he's doing that, this is what happens in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished 
that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. And that's how you should read that. Even on Gentiles. With a little bit of like, what? The God of heaven and earth, Yahweh, the one that only has spoken to us by a burning bush to Moses through the Ten Commandments to our forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's going to pour his spirit out even on Gentiles? Wow! That's a praise God. That's what that statement is. Even on Gentiles? For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Once again, prescriptive, descriptive. Which one? And as we read the Bible, always ask questions. All right, is God just showing off something that he wants to do once, or is he still filling his people with the Holy Spirit? And he is filling his people with the Holy Spirit because when we ask these questions, we take the whole counsel of Scripture and we go, okay, God, what have you said? What are you about? And as I said, when I study a topic, I take a word. So Holy Spirit. Get a concordance. Look up every time the Holy Spirit shows up in the book of Acts, and what is he doing? Then you make a case. Okay, I think that was descriptive. I think that was prescriptive. I think, though, if you were going to make an argument, when God's people are in the upper room and he pours this Holy Spirit out, it's God's intention for his people to be clothed in power, to be his witnesses, and to be full of the Holy Spirit. He repeats that with the Gentiles. He repeats it a lot of times. So if you went home and got a concordance and looked up every time the Holy Spirit shows up in the book of Acts, how many times do you think the Holy Spirit shows up in the book of Acts? Just say a lot. Like a lot. Every other like, verse is the Holy Spirit led, the Holy Spirit filled, the Holy Spirit forbid, the Holy Spirit sent, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, I look at those things and I go, okay. Normal for them was somebody like me or Jeremiah to get up here and be like, I feel like the Holy Spirit wants us to do, and that would have been normal. That's not normal for us. So are they broken or are we broken? Maybe we're not broken. So if we did that exercise and you're like, I don't want to go through all the book of Acts, I did it for you and we're going to do it now. It'll be fun. So if you go to Acts 5, we'll start in 5. We're going to go 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Because in every one of those chapters, the Holy Spirit shows up. Almost like they expected him to show up. And without him, they'd be lost. So we read this last week, but in Acts 5, Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So guess who you can lie to? To the Holy Spirit. And we talked about this. He didn't say you lied to God or lied to the Father or lied to Jesus or lied to us. You lied to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. It goes on, verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 9, when Sapphira shows up, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit? So he says to Sapphira, you didn't lie to the Spirit. You tried to test him. You tried to see if he was about it. You tried to see if he was going to actually catch you in your lie. And she dies too. Acts 5.32, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Did you hear that? To the ones who obeyed him, God has given his spirit, and one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he witnesses to the beauty and the worth and the testimony of Jesus. So to be full of the spirit it's not always manifestations. It's literally, I have the Spirit of God going, Jesus did rise from the dead. Jesus is worth everything. Jesus is the King of glory. This is what the Holy Spirit did. He testifies to the worth of the Son. Acts 7, verse 51. This is Stephen's sermon before he gets stoned. You stiff, naked, not naked, that's not the right word. My bad. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. So once again, ask questions when you re read Scripture. If they could resist the Holy Spirit, can you and I resist the Holy Spirit? My grandmother says, oh yes. But can you and I resist the very work that God wants to do by the Spirit? I think so. 
chapter 11, verse 12. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me. So now you have the Spirit doing a thing, telling a thing. Told me to go to a place that's very specific. Now, you're, some of you were like, that whole experience thing, but if God speaks to you right now, is that an experience? Is that experiential? If one of you stands up and says, God's saying, that's an encounter, that's experience, that's right now in this moment, God's doing a thing, and it seems to happen a lot here from 11 on. Acts 11, verse 28. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. So now you're kind of getting into prophetic, you're kind of getting into like, God told me a thing that would happen. That's foretelling, right? If I tell you, you're going to pull out on a curved road and someone is going to rear-end you, that's foretelling. Please don't. I, some of you are like going to call me and be like, I got rear-ended. No. Foretold by the Spirit. Acts 13, 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit did what? Sent them out. Go there. Do this. You need to go to this place. That's ascending that by the Spirit of God. Acts 15, 28. Or as it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I love this. So you got the Holy Spirit, and he's like, guys, I got this really good idea. We should do this. And it, it's like the apostles were like, good idea, Holy Spirit. We agree. So it seemed really good to the Holy Spirit and to us to do this. Do you talk to the Holy Spirit like that? Does the Holy Spirit lead you like that? Some of you are like, it's okay. We'll get there. Acts 16, 6, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? The Holy Spirit said, you will not go there. Forbid is a very intense term, is it not? You shall not pass. They want Gandalf on you. Now, what's interesting to me is he says, you have been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the what? Will the Holy Spirit do that? So it seems like they were so in tune and so filled and so, God, we want to be led by you that they knew when the Spirit of God said, you will not go to Asia and you will not proclaim the word there, you're going to go here. That they knew it, they could discern it, and then they would go and have great fruit in ministry. We think, well, I'll just preach to God the word everywhere. I'll give myself to every God-shaped thing and we burn ourselves out. But they knew, I'll go where God sends me and I'll go there but not there. Acts 16, 7. And when they had come up to, I can't really say it, Mysia, I'll go with that. They attempted to go into Beanthia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So you see the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Revelation, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, depending on your background. The Spirit of Christ didn't allow them to do a thing. You all probably actually understand this a little bit, maybe not in the same way that they're talking about. You ever gone to do something that you know is not of God and you almost feel like, a, don't do that. What is that? Who is that? The Holy Spirit. Acts 19, verse 2, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we didn't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. And this could be some of you. You're like, I've heard of the Holy Spirit. I've got nothing to do with him. But really, Scripture is trying to say, hey, the Holy Spirit's a good thing. We want him. We need him. And he's available. And so when, uh, I think it's Peter, maybe Paul, he finds a group of John the Baptist's disciples. And they have been baptized into repentance, which is John's baptism. Repent before you've got to make straight the paths of the Lord. They hear about Jesus, get baptized into the name of Jesus, but they don't get the Holy Spirit. And he goes, what baptism did you get? Did you get the Holy Spirit? We didn't even know. And then he prays for them and they get the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 21. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit. So not in the flesh, not in his mind, not like with a council. I resolved in the Spirit to do a thing. Acts 20, verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. 
And this is why my rebuttal to a lot of charismatics when they tell me wealth, blessing, and health. The Holy Spirit testified to the apostle of God that in every city you go to, they will stone you, whip you, and hate you. The Holy Spirit told him, suffering's coming, but I'm sending you. And he said, yes, Holy Spirit, I'm going. So the Holy Spirit testified, said, declared, made aware, hey, they're going to persecute you. Don't be afraid. And finally, Acts 20, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Whew, I felt that one. So when we get leaders here, you, must, you want to make darn sure you didn't put yourself here, but the Spirit of God put you here. So some of you need to hear me say this. We don't care if you actually come here. We want you where God wants you. I'm not into people farming. We're into church building. So if God wants you here, make sure you're here and where you're supposed to be because the Spirit put you here. And if you're a leader, you should feel this verse. The Spirit of God put leaders over the church that he bought with his own blood, which means you're precious to God, and I'm, less, I'm not the important part of this. You are. You should feel that. But who did that? The Spirit did that. Men didn't do that. Women didn't do that. The Spirit did that. So, it's about 20 verses. Prescriptive or descriptive? You're like, it's 20 verses. I don't know. Should we live it? Should we, if the common reality of the Acts church, and then we're going to read a little bit more of the epistles here in a second, if the common testimony is the Spirit led, the Spirit forbid, the Spirit stopped, the Spirit spoke, the Spirit told, the Spirit filled, the Spirit gifted, I can, I can keep going, I can keep going. So if that's the common, the Spirit of God is alive in the churches of Jesus Christ, is it prescriptive or descriptive? Prescriptive. It's both. It describes what they did, but it's telling us what we should be. So if it's normal, once again, for them to say, hey guys, the Holy Spirit told me to do, you should come here, and you should be like, the Holy Spirit told me, and I should be like, yeah! Not like, be careful. So we ended last week with some questions. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? How would you know? And then if you're not, how can you pursue it? And I think some of the reasons, and I, I've, I've thought about these reasons a lot, why didn't I care about the Holy Spirit in the first half of my Christian life? Number one, I was told to. I was told that he wasn't doing any of that, and I was told that the work of the Spirit, is in, it's kind of like a silent force that fills you at salvation, and you won't, don't even expect anything different. Now, here's the thing. I, I drank that Kool-Aid, and then I went back to Scripture, and I went, is that what the Word says? That when the Holy Spirit shows up, I won't even know it, nothing will change? That's not what the Word says. And so we've been convinced, and I think it was the enemy mixed with experience. So let's just, let's have a real family conversation. Anyone ever had a really uncomfortable spiritual encounter with somebody that's Pentecostal or said in the name of the Lord or the Holy Spirit said, anybody? Weird encounter? We put all our digits up, right? And so if something weird happens, and typically we don't want to do this, we start to form our opinions about the Bible, about the Holy Spirit, off a counter, off experience. And then we kind of pull back and we go, well, I will never again approach prophecy because I saw it done wrong. And I've pushed on this before, but I've been in a church where a guy opened a Bible, opened up to a verse, and pulled it out of context and promised something that it never promised. Should I stone that man? And should I never use the Bible again? No, right? The answer is no. And so as we pull into this, I think some of the reason is we have misunderstood Scripture, and therefore we've misunderstood the Holy Spirit. So I don't have time. We could talk about this topic for the next six months. I could preach the Holy Spirit for six months, and we still wouldn't get the fullness. But I'll tell you a few things I can learn about the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Number one, he is a person, and he is God. So the Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not an impersonable force. This is, we are not Jedi, y'all. 
You know what I mean? Like, mm, that's not what we're doing. We are dealing with the Spirit of God, which is Father, Son, Holy Good. Yeah. And it was given by Jesus. He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. So let me ask you a question because maybe you haven't thought about it. Who indwells a Christian at salvation? Who is in your heart? Y'all want to say Jesus because that's the prayer they taught you. It's not. Where's Jesus right now? At the right hand of the Father, seated on a throne, waiting for all his enemies to be made a footstool. That's where Jesus is. Now, he's my Lord, but the Holy Spirit, when I encounter God on earth, who am I encountering? The Holy Spirit. And so really, when you kind of step back, you go, well, the Holy Spirit's all over the church. Yes! That's why he's not scary. That's why he's not weird. Because when the Holy Spirit shows up, Jesus is honored and glorified. And so what we don't want to do, we do not want to treat the Holy Spirit like the weird, red-headed uncle that we only invite to Thanksgiving to appease our aunt. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all got families? You know that guy? You're like, we, I guess we got to invite him. You know what I mean? He is part of the Godhead. You know, <laughs> We don't want to treat the Holy Spirit that way. And so because he's a person, and he is God, when I say, you are full of the Holy Spirit, what are you full of? God! You're full of everything that God is like, his character, his way, his word, his power, his thoughts, his revelation, all of it. So do we want to be full of the Holy Spirit? Just, yes! Oh, we do! Oh, we do. Now, here's what I've learned about people. Um, you can learn things about people, like, here, I'll show you some things when I say he's a person. That's what I'm trying to get at. He's a person, and therefore, he has a mind, he has a will, he has emotion, and he comforts. These things, that you can see these scriptures. If you want them, I'll post them after, whatever. He has a mind. He speaks. He teaches. He can be made to feel sorrow, and this is one of my favorite things about the Holy Spirit. In John 14 and 15, Jesus starts to teach about the Holy Spirit. He says, I know you guys are freaking out because I'm telling you I'm going to go away. They're literally, think about it. You and I stop doing our occupations and we follow a Jewish Galilean man named Jesus. We give him everything. For three years of our life, we stare at him and we listen to him teach and he yells at us when we want to call down fire on people. He's like, that's not what we're doing here, buds. And then he leads us over here and we watch him cast out demons, heal people of diseases, and teach about the kingdom of God. And we are like, where else do we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then he's like, by the way, I'm going to leave. Do you not freak out? So in John 14 and 15, he's like, I'm going to leave. I got to leave. I'm going to go back to heaven. I'm going back to my father. But don't be afraid. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan, an abandoned, unadopted one. I'm going to come to you. And how is he going to come to us? Why are we never alone to the end of the age? Why do we have a comforter? Why can we know the mind of Christ? Why can we know Scripture? Because the Holy Spirit's with us. And so when a church decides, and I think it's Satan mixed with just human, this is humans want to protect themselves, we've kind of pushed, relegated the Holy Spirit to the back corner. And the task that God has given me by the, all the days that I have left in this church is to give the Holy Spirit a place. We want him. You want the Spirit of God, I'm telling you. The reason I want the Spirit of God is because the moment the Spirit of God came upon my life, there was the revelation that I am a loved son. And nothing you do and nothing I do will ever remove it. I want the Spirit of God on my kids because I want them to know where to go and what his voice sounds like. I want the Holy Spirit here. And some of you are still hearing manifestations. I don't care what manifestations come upon your body. I don't care about gifts. I care about intimacy with God, and I'm tired of Christians limping into my office and going, does God even care about me? And I'm like, yes. Yes, he does. So he's a person, and he has emotion, and he comforts, and he speaks, and he teaches. But he also, and these are some of the scary ones, he can be insulted. He can be resisted. He can be lied to. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us you can quench him. Picture a fire at a campsite and you throw a bucket of water on it. What happens? It goes out. 
And some of you, you're like, you feel like your Christian life is just like that, a campfire that had water poured on it. And it's like coals, and you're like, I kind of feel a little love for God, but I feel stuck. Do you know what the Holy Spirit does to a humble jar of clay? Fills it with glory and lights it on fire. The Holy Spirit is a person, and he's God, and we don't realize how much he's involved in. So when you were wherever you were, and somebody like me was probably yelling and wiping sweat and be like, you got to come and get Jesus, and he's going to save you. When that moment you stood up and said yes to Jesus, who made your heart new? Who regenerated you is the word the theologians would use. In the act of salvation, the Holy Spirit's the one that came and made your spirit new and washed you made you clean, and made your spirit alive in Christ, and then filled you, indwelt you, stamped you. This one's mine. This one belongs to God. In the act of reading the Bible, you ever have that moment where all of a sudden it's almost like your eyes dilate, and you're like, that's what it means. Do you know who's involved in that moment? The Holy Spirit. So I was taught, I've been taught to read the Bible a lot of ways. So in school, they teach you to read it in a very academic-minded way with your head, which is the way you read most things, with your eyeballs through your brain. But they taught me it was very systematic. You're making boxes, you're making cross-references, you're pulling out Greek syntaxes and making little charts about and coloring them and making sure you know where all the nouns and all the stuff is. And you start to read it that way, and what you'll feel happen to you if you don't do it with the Spirit, you'll feel puff. You'll be like, I know a lot. I have conquered this topic known as God. And if anyone comes to me, I will give them answers. But when you read the Bible with the Holy Spirit inside of you, you don't get hard, you get soft. So I've watched men, smart men, PhD level, Greek, I mean like, wow, smart men. And I've watched them read the Bible. I've watched them read the book of Romans, and they came out hard and judgmental and full of wrath. And I'm like, you didn't read the same book of Romans that I read. Because I read the book of Romans, and I see the love of God. So if you read the Bible without the Holy Spirit, you'll, you'll come out a jerk. But if you read the Bible with the Holy Spirit, you'll come out soft and loved and full of like, joy. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. And you all thought I was going to come out here and be like, you need the Holy Spirit so you can speak in tongues and be a bat. Not, no. You need the Holy Spirit for all the things that we do. The Holy Spirit is involved in regeneration, illumination, the leading, the comfort, the, all of it. All of it. So what are we to do with them? There's three verses I'd like to kind of draw in in the epistles in the New Testament. It's Ephesians 5, Galatians 5, and Romans 8. It's going to kind of answer the three, two, three, five, seven questions we got floating out there. How do we know? What would it look like when we are? And how do we pursue it? Now, Ephesians 5. 18 is actually my life verse, the first verse I ever memorized, because I used to like to get drunk, and now I like to get drunk. Oh, spirit. Just kidding. Um, so do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. That's the first statement. That's why I memorized the verse, because I just felt like God was like, yeah, dummy, don't get drunk. And I was like, okay, yeah, God, that's a good verse. Do not get drunk on wine, which will lead you away from God. So don't fill your life with alcohol over and over and over again, because it will control you. Now, you can put this on a lot of things. Don't give your life to Netflix and soak it in and only give it your attention because it will control you. Do not give your life to anything other than the God of the Bible. Do not, give, do not get drunk on wine because it will lead to debauchery, a life away from God. But instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual praises, always giving thanks to God your Father. Well, I feel the Lord on that one. And here's the thing, I, having drank a few drinks in my life, you, you have to drink a lot, right? You just keep drinking until you're drunk. And if you're good at it, good at it, you make plans to do it again. 
And so in the same way, if you were to do all that Greek and all those box studies, which aren't bad, I read the Bible both the same way. I do study it as an academic, and I do study it with the Holy Spirit because I want to love Jesus. That idea of filling is the same way of drinking over and over and over and over and over and over again. Be filled is an ongoing, continuous word. Be filled constantly with the Spirit of God and not the things of the earth. What will happen if I do that? Well, number one thing, you will address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual praise. You'll praise God nonstop. Now, one of the main reasons I can tell a lot of people aren't full of the Holy Spirit is because they're not praising. They don't worship. They don't even like it. That might sound like judgment. Because what happens, uh, a person, a life, a human, you and I, we are filled with the very Spirit of God which testifies to heavenly things, not earthly things, to the beauty of Jesus. And when he does, you know what you have to do when you see Jesus and the beauty of the heavenly realm? Wow! That's what happens. I literally walked in here for a graduation party yesterday, and they had burrito bowls. Burrito bowls. And I said, praise God. I drink my sip of coffee in the morning. Every, I love coffee. And I go, thank you, God, for coffee. Like, I, every, and I'm like, I like coffee and I like burrito bowls, but God's a lot better. Everything rolls up to praise. With a life full of the Spirit, they're in jail in the New Testament. What are they doing? Praising. They're getting whipped. And they're going, man, I'm so counted lucky that I get to suffer for Jesus. And we're like, man, they don't like me at the office. Come on, God. Do you see the disconnect? So then we go, well, I'm full of the Spirit just like them. It was just a, a subconscious, unknown act. And I'm like, it wasn't for them. They knew when they were full. And you could tell it because everywhere they went, they praised. And no matter what circumstance, they praised. Rain or shine, crap or rainbows, praise God. So let's go back. Do, do you, are we full of the Spirit of God? Because it's not just praise, though, because at the end, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, I can tell when someone's actually really full of the Spirit of God, they'll kneel. They'll submit. And you know what I thought for a long time? That real strong Christians, we don't submit, we just lead. The more the Holy Spirit's gotten a hold of me, the more that I realized that submission is actually a part of the kingdom of God. So they praised, and they submitted, and they said, don't drink over and over and over and over of alcohol. Drink over and over and over and over again of the Spirit of God that the living water would flow out of you. Be filled with the Spirit. Biblical command. Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, here's the idea that I always have. You know the guy from the movie Up, the old guy, with the, the tennis balls on the thing? When it says walk by the Spirit, I just always picture walking by the power of something that's not of me, not my flesh, not my strength, by under the assistance of and with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's some things in here you have to wrestle with because it says walk by the Spirit. So, I'm walking. This isn't walking, moonwalking, really, but uh, walking by, via, controlled by the Spirit. And what will happen? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, I know some pretty Spirit-filled brethren. And I can say that I see some flesh in them sometimes. So is the promise not true? If you walk by the Spirit, what does Scripture say? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So I don't think we need less Holy Spirit. I think we need a heck of a lot more. Because why? For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So once again, we already just said, you've had the moment where you reach for the second drink, and you're like, and the Lord's like, don't do that. Or you go to a place, or you say a word, or you yell at your kids, and you feel conviction. That is the Spirit of God going, don't go there. That is the Spirit of God pulling you back to righteousness because you are a son and daughter of righteousness. This is a work of the Spirit. 
And he continues, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. I could read the whole list, but he just basically says, if you're caught up in these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. We don't talk in that language because we're like, I'm in no matter what. And they're like, hey, check your life. No matter what I do, God's got God grace for me. But they say, but if you do these things, you won't inherit it. Just wrestle with it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Who learned this song to sing for this? Yeah? We got, we got the Bible kids? Felt, if, you, if you don't, raise your hand right now. You didn't miss anything. Just some, you didn't. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now what I've noticed, and I, a student of the church, a student of God's people. I have a lot of conversations with people. Like, that's my job. And I've noticed there's, it seems to be an escalating lack of these things in the church. In the world, it's obvious, yeah? They're devouring and biting and yelling and just getting louder and louder. In the church, though, I seem there's a really a lack of love. And it's usually a lack of love in the name of Jesus, which is a weird thing to do. Well, I'm yelling at them about how wrong they are because I love them. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> right? And so I feel like what has happened is we're going, oh, we're the church. We're full of the Spirit. Well, what has he done? Nothing. Has he ever spoken to you? No. Does he show off any gifts? No. I don't really want that or believe that happens. And then at the same time, out of the supernatural, a lack of love, a lack of joy, an increase in anxiety. And I'm like, could it be just... Could it be that we, maybe we did quench the Spirit and we need to give him full place again so that if we walk by the Spirit, we don't gratify the desires of the flesh? And if we walk by the Spirit, we'll see the fruit of the Spirit, which you'll notice the fruit of the Spirit's not tongues, manifestations, and flopping. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, peace, and patience. We need all of those things in greater measure. And therefore, I would say we need the Spirit in greater measure. And finally, Romans 8. Then we'll land this thing. Romans 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's pretty strict, right? It's pretty to the point, too. If you live according to your human desires and your flesh and your will and your things that are of this earth, you will die. That's, the, that's what it says, and that's what it means in the Greek. But if the, by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So once again, in our efforts to be like Jesus, it's not on your strength. You're not willpower in this thing. My favorite thing the Holy Spirit does is he calls me into righteousness, and it's always gentle. It's like, Andrew, you're not being loving there. Son, that's what I hear most often. Son, I have better for you. That is the work of the Spirit to put to death the things of my flesh that I might live. And I want the Holy Spirit doing that because I'm a hot mess, y'all. Anybody else? So I need a lot of the Holy Spirit going, hey, put that to death. Check that attitude. Don't go there. Don't do that. Pull that back. Don't talk with such an attitude. I need it all the time. Put that to death. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's an interesting statement. He checks to see if you are a son or a daughter if you are led. When's the last time the Holy Spirit led you? And I don't mean any shame. It challenges me because they expect the people of God, the sons and daughters, to be led by God. When's the last time God led you? So once again, you should come in here and you should be like, Andrew, I feel like the Holy Spirit of God is leading me to. And you know what I should do? Well done, son or daughter. Let's talk about it. Let's discern it. Let's test it together. This should be normal. This is normal practice in the church. God is leading his sons and daughters, and everybody who's led by the Spirit of God is a son or a daughter. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Now you'll notice the spirit of slavery, it's lowercase. 
And I know that you Bible nerds, you're with me. You're like, it is. That means something. It does. Because it's not the Holy Spirit. It's a lesser spirit. It's like more demonic and it's more fear-based. And it's actually what it is. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery, an evil demonic spirit, to fall back into fear. But you have received the capital spirit? The spirit of the living God. You have received the spirit of God. And now you get to cry out, Abba. Now, you couldn't before. It would have been improper for you to call God Father before, but now because the Spirit of God is in you, you can cry out, Dad, I need help, and He helps. And it's not improper. This is the goodness of God. It is the goodness of God to have Jesus die and be buried and resurrect from the dead for our salvation. It is the goodness of God that He would not leave us, but give us His very Spirit. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is why I want the Holy Spirit. I want you to know whose you are. I want no matter what comes through the door, you to praise, walk in submission, be full of joy, love, peace, and all of it. And if some manifestations happen along the way, great. I think let's talk about why we struggle with this and then how to walk in it. I think we struggle with the Holy Spirit because when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about experiential stuff. And experiential stuff is subjective stuff. And we've been taught that experiences and emotions are bad and of the devil. But last I checked, God created my emotions. And if I meet him, it's an experience. And so what I'd like to do is just kind of give you permission to ask God to encounter you, to show up, to experience his goodness. When David says in the Psalms, not our David, but King David, says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Some of you don't, yeah, you're like, yeah, in heaven one day. I'm like, no, right now. I want to taste and see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I've always said, there's a, an electric socket right there. I'm going to give you all a fork. I want you to cram it into there. What happens? You might feel it, yeah? So I just, this is where you'll see the fire come out of me because the things we say with our mouth are ludicrous. The same spirit that's in me rose Jesus from the dead. And then I'm like, what changed? Nothing. What? I am united with Christ. I am seated in heavenly places. The things we say with our mouths that are true, and then our doctrine and our past tell us, but don't expect anything. It's an unseen force that will not do anything. It just seals you. I'm like, I don't know if that's Bible. I think that's human fear. And I think what I, I struggle with is, like, when in Acts 19, too, we already talked about it. When John, you know, John, they received the baptism of John. He says, what baptism did you receive? Were you baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they're like, we didn't even know. You know why he's asking that question? Do you know what we would say to that question? So let me ask the question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Y'all are real nervous right now. Don't need to be nervous. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Yes. Say yes. You have the Holy Spirit. So really, when we talk about this, we are talking about salvation and we're talking about filling. So at salvation, the moment you said yes to God, the Spirit of God rushed in, regenerated a broken spirit, made it new, new creation, transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. You belong to God. And he goes, that one's mine. So when Satan comes, you go, I'm his. And he's bigger than you. This is the idea of the Christian life. We belong to God. He is our Father. So you all have the Holy Spirit. But when they talk about it in the New Testament, I think for them, receiving the Holy Spirit was an experience. It was, they knew it. And this is why I said this. In Acts 2, how did they know they received the Holy Spirit? You're like, well, they got drunk. Uh, they spoke in tongues. There was some fire. There was some wind. They literally lived bold lives from that day afterwards. All of them went and died gladly for the name of Jesus. You're like, there's some changes. Yeah? When the Gentiles get baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts 10, how did they know? They spoke in tongues and they praised God. 
So there was outward manifestation, there was outward signs, there was, they knew something has happened, but if you went to a normal, contemporary, Protestant, evangelical, all the titles on there, and you said, did you receive the Holy Spirit, can it be experiential, they'd be like, well, my doctrine says, we turn the Holy Spirit into a doctrine, and they had him as a person that you could experience. Because your modern, contemporary evangelical would be like, it's a subconscious work of God and regeneration. I had a professor in school tell me once that it's an unasked for, unnoticed filling. But it wasn't for them. They knew. And you'll know. And I don't think it's wrong to say, well, I don't see those things. And, then, and if you're struggling with the idea of experiential, let's say it together. Say it with me. Experiential. experiential. You didn't want to do it, some of you. That's fine. When you got saved, that was an experience. When the love of God, all of a sudden you were just like, he loves me. That was an experience. When you prayed and God answered that prayer and you felt praise, over, that was an experience. So Satan and some Christians have turned experience into evil. Experience, we're not chasing experience. I'm not chasing emotions or manifestations. I'm chasing God. And when I touch him, Things happen. So if I was to say, hey, the term baptized in the Holy Spirit, what does it mean? Now you're all like, oh, my background tells me, or this is what I think. I don't care what you think. When I baptize you in water, what's it look like? So let's just take something we understand. Big tank of water, and I, if I hold you underwater, do you know that you're wet? Or are you just like, I don't know. Am I in water? Am I in air? I don't know. Like, you know, right? So when the, it's the same term, it's the same Greek, it's the same idea, baptized in the water, into the Christ's death and out, you actually know something happened to me. So now take the very spirit of the living God and dunk you into, immerse you into the presence, power, life, character, will, ways of God. Immerse you in it. Baptize. That's the language. Baptize in the Holy Spirit. Will you know it? And should we know it? Will it be an experience? Because when they do it in Acts 1, he says, you are, shall receive power, and you shall be my witnesses. So they received the power, and then what did they do? They witness. They received the power, and then they're bold. They received the power, and they continually are going, God, fill us up and make us more bold. The testimony of Acts is one of experience, and I don't think we like that language, but it's biblical language. And so let me tell you two things. We've talked about a few, like fruit and praise. What will it, how will you know if you're full of the Holy Spirit? I'll give you two from the book of Acts. There's more. We can talk about this a long time. But the first one we already talked about is a heart of praise. Praise. In Acts 10, it says they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling or magnifying God. That was the sign to them that the Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit. They were magnifying, extolling, and worshiping God. A heart that is full of the Holy Spirit will not worship self anymore. It'll worship God. It's the effects of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. The second one, so it's praise, and then I think it's obedience. You're like, obedience? Not tongues? Obedience! Where the Spirit of God dwells, you'll want to do God's things. Where the Spirit of God is, you will not want to do earthly things. Where the Spirit of God is, He's going to go, Jesus is calling, follow Him. Verse 32, we are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit to whom God gave to those who are obeying him. So if you have any other spirit besides the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God leads you to obey, to worship, to honor Christ, to make much of Jesus, to pray, to serve, to submit. I mean, there's a lot. And all we think, I don't want the Holy Spirit because I don't, I don't want that tongue thing. Well, I don't want the Holy Spirit because I, I don't want to shake on the ground. I don't, that's not even half of what the Holy Spirit does. So here's how we pursue this and a couple warnings. You're going to love this answer because it's simple. We just hate it. You ready? This is how you get the Holy Spirit. Ask. There it is. You're like, what? Ask. 
Luke 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is like really like right there. So I have four kids. Grace is five. She's never asked for a glass of milk. And I've been like, snake! Never. My kids have never asked for anything good. And I've thrown a scorpion on their face and been like, ha ha ha! Never. Right? And I've heard this claim that, like, we got to be careful about inviting the Holy Spirit or asking, we might get a demon, demon, a demon, we might get a demon, we might get something weird. That's not what it says. It says, if you ask your Heavenly Father for the Holy Spirit, you'll get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to bring life. The problem is, and this is where I think we struggle, um, in Acts chapter 2, how long did they wait? About 10 days. Will you keep asking even if right now nothing happens? Because one of the, it's like a cuss word in Christianity, wait. Wait on the Lord. Wait on God, because it's his gift. It's his spirit. You don't demand it. He tells you. Martin Lloyd-Jones again said, it is he who gives this gift. He knows when to give it. When we are fit to receive it, all we can do is long for it, yearn for it, cry out for it, keep on doing so, and to be importunate. I don't even know what that word means. It just means keep knocking. So once again, if I told you, if you went to your house tonight and you fasted and prayed for 10 days, but God would be there, would you do it? And I think in my own life, I got really hungry for the things of God. And I started asking God to do this stuff. It was not immediate. But what I noticed is the longer I waited, the more of me came out of me. The more that I went, God, I want to be baptized in your spirit. I want to know the things of God. I want to see the things of heaven. The more he was like, well, you're going to have to let things go of the things of earth. The more that he was like, well, you're not really humble, so why would I give you power? This is part of the process. He knows when to give it, and he's not holding out on you. So let me ask some questions as we close. The band can come up. I talk too long, which is normal, but whatever. On this topic, like I said, we could talk for six months, and I still would not be through it all. Um, John Brevere, who's an author, he said, remove the Holy Spirit from a church, and one of two things will happen. It'll morph into a social club, or it'll become a religious institution. This is true. So if you take the Holy Spirit, the very power of God in the people of God out of the church, we gather, we're moral, we wear collared shirts, we kind of boast about our lives, but there's no power in it. And some of you, you know a lot of things about Jesus. You would even maybe call yourself a Christian, but there's no power in your heart. There's no transforming work in your life. God transforms the things he touches. And so I'll ask some questions. Do you feel stuck in your spiritual life? You're like, I love Jesus, but I feel like I'm just like burning, low burning coals. Well, the Holy Spirit has actually called fire, equated with fire, equated with water, equated with wind. And the work of being born again, the work of him breathing new life is not mysterious. It's this, Lord, I am low burning coals. Set me aflame again. Fill me. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.